Welcome to Safety Net, a patient safety podcast with news, trends, and ideas from CRICO, the insurance program for all of the Harvard Medical Institutions and their affiliates, bringing a data-driven approach to reducing medical error through clinical analysis of malpractice claims. Early in 2021, the U.S. Preventive Services Task Force changed the starting age for its general colorectal cancer screening recommendation, lowering it from age 50 to 45. Joining us to talk about this change and more is Dr. Joseph Feuerstein, a gastroenterologist at Beth Israel Deaconess Medical Center in Boston and an advisor for Prevention and Early Detection of Colorectal Cancer, a decision support tool previously developed through CRICO. Dr. Feuerstein is also a member of a team in the Harvard Medical System that is updating recommendations for screening and referrals. Thank you, Dr. Feuerstein. So the first question is just, um, why did the recommendation change from 50 to 45? So this is a great question as to why we've lowered the age for colon cancer screening to 45. This initial recommendation came from the cancer society groups where they looked at modeling studies and noted that already there would be a benefit from colon cancer prevention already starting at the age of 45. And it's always balancing how we avoid over-screening while also most importantly also avoiding under-screening patients in general. And in reviewing this, one of the key impetuses for this recommendation was the fact that we have seen this rise in incidence and prevalence in younger ages of colon cancer diagnoses. And with this, we know that the idea of colon cancer screening and prevention, this is really a procedure that we do and testing that we do to prevent colon cancer. Our goal is that we want to identify the polyps or the precancerous lesions long before they ever become cancerous. And leaving the age at 50, there was already this group that was being missed who was developing polyps a little bit earlier and then already developing cancer by the age of 50. So by lowering the age to 45, This fits a little bit better with the age group of where people really start to develop polyps, which is usually sometime in their 40s. And now we can capture those who are developing polyps maybe between ages 40 to 45, or even those ages 35 and over. And then by doing the colonoscopy at 45, hopefully we can identify high-risk lesions at an earlier stage and remove them before they ever become a cancer. And uh, what does this mean sort of on a practical level at the uh, frontline sort of uh, preventive side on the, for the primary care physicians? So this is always, I feel, a really important aspect of uh, colon cancer screening and prevention. It really does start with the primary care physicians where they often are the ones identifying the patients who are appropriate for colon cancer screening and start that dialogue and that conversation about the importance of cancer screening. For the primary cares, they're already inundated with so many different important questions and jobs to do in trying to really quarterback the healthcare for patients. But at the same time, we're now asking them to really start thinking about colon cancer screening early on. And this doesn't necessarily mean to just start at age 45 that the clock's starts at that age, but rather it's 
actually starting to address the concept of colon cancer screening with your patients already, once they start turning 40 and above, that's when you want to start the dialogue. Because the concept of colon cancer screening has changed from a one-stop shop of, let's say, just doing colonoscopy or just doing some other screening procedure to what we call shared decision-making. And this concept should be is that really you should be looking at your patient's risk profile. Those who are high risk, really should be undergoing colonoscopy. That's still our main procedure for anyone who's high risk. But importantly, in the average risk cohort, these are the patients where you really should be having a shared decision-making discussion. What procedure should be done for colon cancer screening and prevention? And this is why it's helpful to already start that dialogue before 45, because our goal is at 45, we already want that screening procedure or test to already be scheduled and completed. So that's why for primary cares, I think this dialogue really has to start sometime in the early 40s and discussed, should one do FIT testing, fecal DNA testing, colonoscopy, or many of the other options for colon cancer screening and prevention, and have that dis discussion with the patients over which is the best procedure for that individual patient. In this younger cohort, does that suggest sort of a different approach? We know that younger people have sort of a different uh, orientation towards healthcare sometimes. So does it mean a different uh, modality or, or different communication? Uh, what kinds of things can you adjust now that the age is going down? I think with the age going down, there are a lot of different challenges that come with the younger age as well. So with the younger age of cancer screening um, for colon cancer, there has to be a lot of discussions now about, first off, that shared decision-making concept of which procedure should I do for this individual patient. There are cultural issues, there are different just individual views that patients may have between a different test or a colonoscopy, for example, their comfort with the concept of undergoing a colonoscopy. And the idea of lowering the age is we don't wanna scare people off from cancer screening procedures early on, but rather we want them to be kind of embrace their healthcare decisions and go through with the test that they initially feel is the right one for them. Sometimes this may come down to something as simple as scheduling, right? Where someone will say, I just can't take a day off from work right now. And the only way I can take a day off from work is if I know there's something really at risk. And for someone like that, the answer may be that doing either a fit test or a fecal DNA test may actually be the best test. Because that would be a shared decision-making that you have with a younger patient about not missing work, but there are some pretty good non-invasive colon cancer tests. But you have that discussion with the patient that this test does come back positive, then it does require a colonoscopy. That's really a full shared decision-making where it's that discussion about doing the non-invasive test followed by what do you do if the result is positive. Alternatively, you may have other patients where they may say, look, I just want to do one test and be done as long as I can and not worry about this at all. And that's where a lot of discussion may come around doing colonoscopy. So this is also where some people say, I'd rather take 10 years and just undergo one procedure rather than have to do these non-invasive tests every one to three years, depending on which test is selected. However, still what's most important is that you select the appropriate test for your patient. And that really gets down to non-invasive cancer tests are really only appropriate at this time for your average risk patient. 
But this is a really important group to discuss because if we push people away at this young age at 45 from doing their cancer screening tests, then it's much less likely they'll come back to doing it at any later state. And therefore we could result in missing colon cancers if we're not careful. Excellent. If we step back and put it in the context of uh, our organization uh, and our mission, traditionally, where do you see patient safety risks with CRC screening? One important thing when thinking about safety is when thinking from an overall patient safety risk um, aspect of the screening program, it's really important that every center and site has some system by which they're going to bring patients into a cancer screening and prevention program, and then how is that followed up accordingly? Because that's one of the biggest risks is that once we start that relationship with our patients and engage them in cancer screening, then if we lose that engagement, that's a significant risk both to us and to our patients as well. And that's why it's very important that, for example, if one selects a non-invasive cancer screening um, test, what system does your site have in place to make sure that if that is a positive test, that patient will be directed to a colonoscopy-based screening procedure that is scheduled and then the, is actually attended, and then what the follow-up is following that procedure? Any break in that system would result in a suboptimal cancer screening program. Similarly, if you have a colonoscopy, let's say, and one undergoes colonoscopy-based screening, what systems do you have in place to make sure that we re-engage these patients afterwards um, and they have their follow-up colonoscopy scheduled? Likewise, if they have a negative non-invasive cancer screening test, what systems does the program have in place so that these patients are recalled for their non-invasive screening at the right interval? And part of this is as simple as just keeping track of what are the appropriate numbers to reach your patient at? What is the correct address to mail the letters to? If you don't have accurate demographics on your patients, the whole system is already going to fall apart. And that's where this really starts with keeping your patients engaged throughout this time point and not necessarily just at time point A where you do the initial test and then time point B when you're ready to do the follow-up. There still has to be some engagement throughout to make sure that you really get to that second time point. And that's really how to make a truly safe, high quality colon cancer screening program. I think the main risk from the primary care standpoint is that initial engagement with the patient. How did you initially engage your patient to start the colon cancer screening and prevention process? What information did you really provide your patient about the differences between the different available tests? And did you make sure that those who are eligible for cancer screening got the appropriate test? For example, someone who's bleeding or someone who has significant weight loss should probably not undergo a non-invasive cancer test. That patient actually is more of a higher risk patient or a symptom-based um, screening now, and that's where they probably should undergo colonoscopy. The reassurance from a negative non-invasive cancer screening test there would not really be appropriate. Similarly, another risk that comes to the primary care is sometimes when a patient doesn't actually show up for their actual procedure. And this is very challenging because if that procedure was scheduled or that test was expected to be done of the FIT test or the fecal DNA test, 
what happens if the patient never did it? And that's where it's really important on the primary care you're ordering these tests, have some system in place that you know that they really got their test and completed it, and then what the next um, follow-up is. We also see um, risk in the cross-current between the referring clinician and the receiving service. Communication about who is doing what. Can you address that? I think that's honestly one of the most challenging issues that we have once we receive patients on the gastroenterology side of colon cancer screening and prevention. And I would add anecdotally also in medicine in general, communication is probably our Achilles heel in so many situations. Um, from a cancer screening standpoint, once someone is moved into a colonoscopy-based cancer screening protocol, typically the onus would be on the gastroenterologist or the proceduralist who's doing the colonoscopy to arrange that follow-up and to make sure that that patient has the appropriate follow-up procedure done. What's important still is even if that onus is on the gastroenterology team or the proceduralist team, still there really needs to be a good um, two-way communication between the different services so that the primary care and referring physicians know what happened at the colonoscopy and that they're receiving information of which one of their patients were diagnosed with cancer or advanced polyps. And so they're aware also of when is the appropriate next follow-up. And having that dialogue with your different gastroenterologists or other proceduralists who may be doing colonoscopy is important to establish so that there are no breaks in such a system. What else might be changing in terms of guidance for colorectal cancer screening and diagnosis? I think in general, this is a very exciting time for um, colorectal cancer screening and diagnosis, where there's a lot of emerging evidence where our old ways are not always the best ways of doing things. And what we have nowadays are high definition equipment, for example, for colonoscopy, what we're able to see and take off um, during a colonoscopy is much more advanced compared to what could have been done 10 or 20 years ago or when they were using standard definition equipment. And that's where the guidelines really need to be based on the use of high quality, high definition equipment, which is different than many of the older studies. And the challenge with um, cancer screening and diagnosis is it takes a long time to do these studies, but that's where the latest U.S. Multi-Society Task Force has updated their recall guidelines to change a lot of the recommendations for recall surveillance colonoscopy to be more based on a risk profile of the polyps that are removed. Not every adenoma is the same risk. A tubulovillus or a villus adenoma has a higher risk than a traditional tubular adenoma. So to the number of polyps or the size of the polyps, even very large hyperplastic polyps, which typically we were not concerned about, may require some surveillance just to be cautious with um, some of the conditions that can increase the risk of cancer as well. So it's a very exciting time where we're seeing a lot of these recommendations change from our typical five or 10 year follow-up to now we're seeing some guidelines at times recommending six months, a year, three, three years, five, seven, or 10 years, 
And that's all based on the newer um, high definition equipment that we have. So I think this is definitely an evolving and emerging field in medicine and a very exciting time where I think we really can provide our patients with higher quality colon cancer screening and prevention. Well, thank you, Dr. Feuerstein. That's very important information to keep up with. Thank you. Dr. Joseph Feuerstein is a gastroenterologist and a member of the Crico Colorectal Cancer Screening Task Force. All of Crico's patient safety recommendations and guidelines can be found at www.rmf.harvard.edu forward slash guidelines. I'm Tom Agello for SafetyNet. Thank you for listening to SafetyNet, a podcast of news, trends, and ideas from Crico in the Harvard Medical System. Find all of our podcasts at www.rmf.harvard.edu slash podcasts and subscribe. Find us wherever you get your podcasts, and then rate and review the show to help others find it too.